0: Welcome to another episode of Brewroots. I'm Emily. And I'm Matt. And this is the podcast that tells you the stories behind your favorite beer.
1: Each week we take a look behind the scenes at the craft beer industry. And now, on to the episode.
0: ooh yeah, Emily, that sounds so good right now.
1: Yeah, what a sweet, sweet sound.
0: You guys have no clue, but we're back.
1: Thank you. Special thanks to Kay Sparks, who provided the track for Brew Roots' new intro for Season 3.
0: And... If you can hear in your headphones or in your car or in your speaker or in anything you're listening to this podcast, we sound
1: freaking good. Yeah, we sound a little better. Why is that, Emily? We have a new sound engineer. His name's Ryan. Say hi, Ryan. Hi.
0: You guys might have heard that in the background because we got these fancy-ass microphones <laughs> in front of us. And now but, we
1: get to be like, shut up, Ryan.
0: Yeah, but uh, we're really excited. <laughs> Ryan and also went to high school with Emily and I. So we're basically recruiting everyone we went to high school with, and next season we'll have a fourth member from our high school. And then, and then we'll cap it, it at that. Yeah, we'll, we'll cap it at that. But uh, welcome to season three, and what a 2018 we had, and we're really excited for what 2019 has in store. So happy new year to all our past listeners and any new listeners, because we have a fucking amazing episode coming up for you guys. Yeah,
1: and also I would like to say a special congratulations to Channel Marker Brewing. They opened this past weekend and I was just there today.
0: Funny story. So was I.
1: Yes. And Channel Marker was our most listened to episode of 2018. So congrats guys. It was really great meeting everybody at the brewery. Lots of families there and excited to see what you guys do in the future.
0: Yeah. So uh, congratulations on an awesome opening. Uh, Speaking about openings this year, I was reading a blog and I saw that 26 new breweries and nine new tap rooms opened up in, in Massachusetts in 2018. So that's, that's a, a ton. While those numbers seem like really small, that's actually a lot. Because if you think about all the work that they need to do, preparing these breweries, and as you've heard in many of our episodes. Gotta this, get money. Gotta, gotta get, get funding. Yeah, you gotta get that guap. And second of all, you like you realize that most of the people who are doing this, this was not their first career.
1: No. And they just kind of fall into the beer making somehow, but they're really good at it and they know they're onto something and boom. Boom. boom so, so I think that's a good segue into our beer fact of the week.
0: Yeah. Before we go into the beer fact of the week though, Emily, who do we have as guest?
1: Oh, so this week's guest, Night Shift. Night Shift Brewing.
0: One of our most requested episodes. So we listen to your feedback and we got night shift a little personal conquest for myself but
1: for those of you that don't know night shift they are out of everett massachusetts and they've grown astronomically in the past few years i believe they first opened their doors in 2012 and we got to talk to rob burns who is their founder and president who started night shift out of his somerville apartment dorm room at night oh yes well technically out of his dorm room he was brewing beer and eventually you know graduated college moved in in somerville and started hosting these parties where you would show up and get free beer in exchange for your feedback so he's going to tell us all about that whole story and where they are today
0: why don't we have friends that are like that
1: i mean we have rob now
0: we have rob that's cool (laughs) all right so you might hear something different so let's take it away introducing the BrewRoots beer fact of the week I just want our listeners to know I did that 100% sober, and that's not even a lie.
1: The BrewRoots Beer Fact of the Week. So today's beer fact is more beer news. Um, as you might know, Matt, the federal government has been shut down for two weeks. And so it's affecting all of these government services like the mail, trash pickup, among other things like you know, social services and that. But it's also affecting the craft beer industry because one of the federal agencies that's been shut down is the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau, which approves all labels for new beers before they can be sold in stores. And so breweries are having to submit their new labels for approval, but they're not going to hear back until the government isn't shut down anymore.
0: Yeah, so this is, like, big news, but it's while it does sound terrible, a lot of breweries have have planned ahead, right? So it's not like... They said, we're going to brew all this beer today, and we're going to apply for the label. So many of them have already submitted stuff, but there is going to be a buildup of, or a backlog, per se.
1: Yeah, and it also affects a lot of breweries that are shipping out of state. So it mainly affects distribution.
0: Yeah, so uh, our guest this week, Rob Burns, uh, was quoted saying, we have a few in queue waiting for approval uh, that we want to release in printed cans. Uh, before we spend a minimum of 25000 for the cans, we want to wait until the label is approved. We have no idea when this will happen, and we might miss two of our big plans because of this.
1: I feel like we're looking at Rob Burns as like the Mark Zuckerberg of beer, not like with the negative connotations, but more in just like, come on, man, like you're the guy who scaled quickly. Like what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, also, he like, is he the is, president. Yeah, yeah, he's the president of the Mass Brewer's Guild. So, you know, he gets involved on Beacon Hill a lot with trying to lobby for reform in uh, laws around alcohol and uh, specifically the ones that are affecting
0: craft breweries. So this will not affect, just to make it crystal clear, this will not affect breweries that only sell their beer on site. Um, But it will affect any new beers from breweries outside of Massachusetts to come in. So this will kind of limit potentially even us to try some beers from out of state that are new.
1: Or if you and I wanted to open a brewery, we would have to wait indefinitely.
0: Oh man, you spoiler alert! Damn it.
1: <sighs> yeah, the brewer's tap room coming. Year three thousand.
0: Yeah, three thousand. We're coming up pretty soon on that. Um, but. You know, fingers crossed that this whole (laughs) fiasco gets solved soon. I have a feeling it will, but I mean, I'm no fortune teller and I really know nothing about politics to educate myself to say it will or it won't. One
1: thing I will say is that it's definitely not the least fortunate outcome of this government shutdown. So we're not trying to act like, oh, poor us. We can't try new craft beers. There are a lot of people who are actually being like really put out and inconvenienced by this. So not trying to downplay that at all, but let's hope... It ends soon.
0: Yeah. So,
1: Emily... <laughs> Is uh, that all we can
0: do? <laughs> I think we just have to kind of sit and wait and hope for the best. Yeah. That's all we can do. <laughs> That's all we can do, but,
1: right? But, you know, let's, let's um, take that time that we're sitting back just waiting for the government to get itself together and talk about the past, Matt.
0: Yes. The past, Emily. Let's talk about the past.
1: And now it's time for Today in beer history.
0: We should uh, really actually just call this uh, I Hate Greg Smith PhD a Beer History. The guy who wrote the book that we actually get all this information from we think typed the words into Google Translate. and
1: Also we think his name is fake and he's not really a PhD. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's completely <laughs> made up. But uh, actually on this day uh, January 11th 1898 uh, Anheuser-Busch bottled his 500 millionth bottle of beer.
1: 1898, so and they I, had already capped almost half a bill
0: beers. Dude, you got to think by 1998, it was probably far exceeding one billion. Definitely. So we're probably at like 1.5, two billion. I bet. Could now, be even more. We didn't do the research. It's but a lot more well. people on the earth. Um, but because of that milestone, Adolphus Bush, CEO, President of Budweiser, uh, he claimed the slogan "King of Bottled Beer." Which then, in uh, you know, like a couple of years later, was translated back into Bud, the King of Beer. All hail! All hail the King of Beer!
1: Yes, indeed, all hail the King!
0: I hate Budweiser. I mean, I don't hate Budweiser. I just, I well, just they,
1: don't they own Goose Island? Yeah. So that's something that that came out of that.
0: It's consistent beer. I shouldn't say I hate it. But uh, yeah, so if you guys aren't already doing so, you need to follow us on social media. Emily, where can we be found?
1: We can be found at Brewroots on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can email us info at brewroots.com.
0: And if you aren't already doing this, get your fingers typing on your smartphone or your computer or whatever, because you need a Shirts on Tap. So what Shirts on Tap does is they partner up with breweries across six major US City. Basically, with the promo code Brewroots, you get your first box for $5. And that's such a good deal because tell me the last time you spent $5 on a quality shirt. And you can customize the shirt material that you want. So if you want that form fitting, nice, soft feeling, you can do that. Or Emily, if you want ones that you like, like
1: I like the masculine, boxy ones,
0: you can do that. And you can customize the size.
1: So head over to shirtsontop.com.
0: Make sure you use the promo code Brewroots for your first box for $5. And remember, Drink better beer, wear better shirts. So, on to the episode featuring Rob Burns of Night Shift Brewing.
1: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of
0: Brew Roots. We are here on what seems to be the coldest day that I've experienced in recent months. I know that that's not true because Thanksgiving was cold, if you guys recall, in the northeast area. But it's freaking cold and it's, I don't know.
1: The solstice is coming.
0: Yes. So, uh... Where are we today, Emily?
1: Today, we are at Night Shift Brewing in Everett, Massachusetts. And Rob, I... I'll let you introduce yourself.
2: Yeah. I'm Rob Burns, one of the co-founders of Night Shift Brewing. So Rob, we always start
0: our interviews by asking, what is your first memory of beer? And you you mentioned your co-founder, but uh, what are your other tasks here at Night Shift? I'm sure you just sure. Don't, don't co-found, right?
2: <laughs> uh, the first memories is pro- probably starting in college when we were drinking a ton of Natty Light. Uh, my freshman year, dorm room was wallpapered with Natty Light and Natty Ice. Uh, 30 racks, and, and that was definitely a foundation for my passion behind beer in some senses. Uh, And what I do around here, I'm, I'm the co-founder and, and the president of the company, so all the day-to-day kind of operations and direction are, are led by me, whether it be the brewing side or the distribution side. Yeah.
0: Excellent.
1: So we're here to hear the story of Night Shift. You guys started around 2012, right? Correct. And it started in Somerville? Out of an apartment.
2: Yep. Uh, myself and the other two co-founders were living together in a, in a, a six-bedroom uh, place near Davis Square in Somerville, and we would come home from our day jobs, and we would stay up all night brewing homebrew batches, and hence the name evolved from that, um, but it really became sort of our passion and what we got excited about, you know, work all week, work during the day, and then come home and, and make some fun beer.
0: Absolutely. So you were brewing beer, obviously, before night shift out. How did you get into home brewing? What was kind of that start for you? Uh,
2: it started in college. It it became, uh, I wanted to understand what made beer different from one another. And I figured that the best way to learn that was to get my hands on it and play with the ingredients. I've always loved to cook, and it seemed like a logical uh, extension of that. And so in, in my senior year dorm room, I started brewing our first batch of beer. Uh, but at the time, then I didn't have like necessarily any money and I didn't really have the time because I was supposed to be studying. And so uh, that kind of hit pause for a little bit. I read like uh, Sam Calgioni's Dogfish Head Brewing Up a Business. Uh, and then once I graduated, it was like I have now a job where I have income and I have no nothing to spend this on and I have no homework to do at night. So let's uh, let's use that free money and, and time to to make some beer.
1: How do you brew out of a college dorm? (laughs) What does that look like?
2: Uh, It was a little sketchy, and uh, the beer was pretty subpar. But (laughs) it did have alcohol in it, and it was the uh, beer pong uh, beer of choice at the time. Uh, So it 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 got us drunk. Um, It uh, it worked in that sense. And (laughs) I remember my girlfriend at the time, and now wife, uh, used to think that our home brews didn't work. And I I put that in air quotes. uh, That they didn't. We weren't actually making alcohol. How could we make alcohol in our kitchen? And uh, one night it worked for her, and then she believed ever since.
1: What was some of the feedback <laughs> you got on the dorm brews?
2: Uh, not great. Um, <laughs> they definitely tasted, you know, I think one of the things that is super important to the home brewers that gets missed, uh, especially in your early stages, is, is fermentation temperatures um, and sort of the exposure to oxygen. It's pretty uh, hard
0: to regulate that with a refrigerator. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: with a, just a bucket yeah. in your in your corner of your apartment. Um, but that you know, you can still make some decent beer if you do it right.
1: That's dedication. I've never heard of somebody doing it out of their dorm before. Yeah. That's brand new.
2: <laughs> so Rob, are you local to the area or where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Myself and one of the other co founders, Michael Mara, also grew up out of outside of Philadelphia, so we're childhood friends. He's also actually my brother-in-law, so I married his sister. Um, so this is very much a family business for us. And then the third founder, I met at college and I you know, sometimes we get to refer to it as the keystone as I brought the two of the guys together uh, into one unit. Uh, I now live here in Everett. I live I have the best community in the world and uh, I get to live and work in the in the community I live in.
1: That's awesome. So what do your other co-founders do? What are their roles at Night Shift?
2: So the other two guys uh, spend a lot of time focusing kind of more on the future. Um, right now, one of our, our big projects is building out uh, a, a second brewery and tap room in Boston. Call, we're calling it Lovejoy Wharf. Uh, it's right at the heart of the city, right next to the TD Garden. And uh, they they're spending a lot of energy managing that construction project, designing, defining the customer experience there. And uh, that's that's the big project on their plate. Why why worry about today?
0: Mm. What did people who tried your dorm room
2: beer say to you?
0: Fast Back forward to the today. Dorm room right, beer. Right, right, right. No, but I'm I'm curious, right? You 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 have these people who have tried, you know, and I'm saying in air quotes product, right? Because you're you're thinking of your your beer in the dorm. It's a product that you made, and now you actually have how many beers do you have on tap and in distribution?
2: Uh, on tap today, I think there's like 24 on tap. Plus, there's another like six or seven that you can get poured out of a can. Uh, we don't even have enough draft lines here to, to serve all the beers we've been making. Yeah. Um. So that must be a humbling moment, is you know people come up to you and go, I can't
0: believe I drank the, the stuff that you used to make now to where it is.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one part of the story too is that when we were living in the Somerville apartment, we were making so much beer that we could we couldn't drink it all, and we used to host pretty much open invite parties. We would have a hundred people plus come, and the beer was free. The only uh rule was you had to fill out a comment and rating card before you left. And so we did that multiple times throughout the year and every so often, whether I'm at a beer fest or at an event, somebody comes up to me and was like, I went to that party because a friend of a friend of a friend or whatever knew you guys from college and they told me to go to this house and I went. And uh, so that experience is uh, still floating out there and it's definitely cool um, and something that, you know, really brings us back to our roots.
1: But when you hosted those parties, were you known as Night Shift yet or were you just kind of this nameless, like go to this? house
2: and uh at first it was yeah go to this house and then um the name night shift uh took off we were we were we were trying to figure out what it was uh what to call ourselves and whether or not we wanted to do this for real as a as a business and eventually we came to the name night shift based on the time we always made the beers Mm -hmm. so
1: i guess that brings us to one of our bigger questions is what was the moment when you, know, you, you were starting to realize this actually could be a business? You're having people give you ratings and comments. Yep. So you're start, it's starting to you know develop as an idea. But what was the moment where you were like, let's just do it?
2: Yeah, I think, I think it was sort of an iterative discussion process amongst myself and the other two founders of like, could we do this? I don't think so. <laughs> no, it's too hard. I don't know. We don't know anything. We don't have any experience. We've never really done this comp- starting a company thing. Until eventually, the feedback was like, "I would buy this I would pay I would open up my wallet and, and pay for this and for us, the comment cards were really Im- important because people always say nice things to your face, but uh behind their back, they're like "That was shit uh, so when the comments blind were getting better and better we're like we should we should give this a shot um and personally, I've always wanted to ru- start my own business, and that was always important to me I- I've started little things throughout my years and I was also selling computers out of my dorm room in college uh via eBay and things like that so uh it was in my blood to try to do something fun.
0: Excellent. Uh how many of those brews that were brewed in this apartment are now night shift brews today?
2: Regularly available not really any except for the the sour Weiss series um but that the ones from the early day the only one that really survived is Everweiss which is our sour beer with a uh, strawberry kiwi and hibiscus um, some of the earlier beers were trifecta which was a belgian pale ale with vanilla bean viva habanera raya with agave nectar and habanero peppers um, we made them for a bunch of years and occasionally we'll do a throwback for them but um, they, they they don't seem to have enough consumer to demand to keep them around regularly
1: so let's talk a little bit about the space that you're in in everett What made you choose Everett Mass as, you know, your first location, and how did the space kind of evolve over time?
2: Yeah, uh, so the space we're in is technically our second facility. The first one is is now demolished and is on the grounds of the new casino coming to Everett. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we really set out to be an urban brewery and that was really what we wanted to do. We were trying to find a warehouse space as close to an urban city as possible that we could afford at the time. And, and myself and my other partner being from Philadelphia, we looked at Philadelphia and Boston and we ended up settling in Everett. Um, idle hands had just set up shop and, uh, we found a space literally next door to them. We shared kind of a wall, almost like a condo, uh, uh, a brewery condo next to each other and ever was very open to having us here. And, and we were, you know, less than f- five miles from downtown Boston. It was, it was kind of a meeting of, of all worlds. And then when we wanted to move to expand ever, was like, we got to find a space here. And, and we landed in this facility today.
0: Absolutely. You kind of been the force of change on this street. Now we have a distillery and rumor has it another brewery is coming.
2: Yeah. There, I mean, now, uh, Everett has, on this street, a brewery, bone-up, yep. uh, distillery, short path, ourselves. There's an axe-throwing place that's opening up behind us. There's a rock-climbing gym. There's a trampoline gym. An axe-throwing uh, place? Yeah, there's a CrossFit wow. gym. There's a new sports bar on this street. And this was kind of a derelict part of the city where no one really went to. Um, so it's been really cool. T- and this building that we were in was vacant for three years. Nobody wanted to lease the space. And uh, we we helped to kind of transform this neighborhood, which has been really exciting.
0: So this space has been slowly expanded over time, right? So you just had the one tap room and then you slowly expanded into the second tap room. Yep. Um, can we talk about that progression where you guys opened up and I remember coming 2014, 2015 and it, and it being a, a hidden gem, right? Not a lot of people were there. Yeah, we I talk
1: about coming when I was like first turning 21.
0: <laughs> can we talk about kind of that explosion? Has it been... Night Shift just being there before the trend? Or has it been also with the trend of craft beer just exploding as well? Uh, what made you get into the business at that point? Because that was a risky time to get into it almost.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely credit part of our success to, to luck and timing. Uh, it, it was a time when we, when we looked at the opportunity where, like, Boston is one of the biggest craft beer drinking cities. But as far as producers of beer that are near the urban core, it's almost nobody. You got Harpoon, you sort of have Boston beer, and that's kind of it. And it was like, I don't understand why we're drinking all these California beers in this city, and there's not more of a local presence. Let's create that. Um, We had been to other big cities like Denver and Portland, Oregon, and we're like, this should exist in Boston. Um, And so that was kind of what we set out to do it here. And we've definitely expanded throughout the years. I mean, we moved to this facility with 16,000 square feet. Now we have 30. We kind of basically have two tap rooms within the space um, that we use, can open or close for private events and things like that. Um, but we were, and another thing interesting to note is the tap room wasn't even in our business plan. Um, at the time, it wasn't really it wasn't legal to sell pints to drink on premise in Massachusetts. And our original tap room was 90 square feet. Now we have over 4,000 here, and we're building one in Boston that's 10,000 square feet of tap room. Uh, so the times have really changed just by changing one law has also really transformed the Massachusetts beer industry. So
0: let's talk about who
2: did you look up to while opening night shift? You mentioned
0: cats in Colorado and California. What was a specific brewery that you said, shit, if a night shift could be half of what this is, I'd be happy.
2: Um, uh, so I think we, on, on the, the brewing side, we always looked up to dogfish head as somebody who kind of pushed the boundaries of what beer could be and kind of, took a non-traditional approach to it. Um, we always thought that was interesting in our early days of home brewing. We really had, uh, and in the early days of the business, we have to shift the beers, um, sort of a play on our name, but also like, let's not make a beer that's just hops, malt, water, and yeast. Um, uh, what can we do to expand the category? Uh, so th- we got a lot of inspiration from those guys, but as far as like overall brewery, one of the ones that we really look up to is Allagash, mm-hmm. uh, they just—they've been around for a long time. They still make a beautiful product. They've held on to the this the uh, the their core, the white beer. Their marketing is beautiful, uh. But they still do a lot of cool innovation and play around with those cool shit beers and a bunch of stuff. Plus, they're just the nicest people.
1: That's true. <laughs> we have yet to talk to them, but you should hopefully yeah. soon.
0: Yeah. Um so let's talk about the first weekend that you guys were able to serve pints. What was that like for you? Is that kind of like a was that a scary moment? Was it kind of like you're both feet are in the water? We have to do it or think or swim
2: yeah i mean when when we we found out that we could get one day licenses in our old brewery, so we did that a couple times where we kind of tested out the concept and that was those were crazy. I mean, it was sort of like going to a secret rave in a weird warehouse and in, in a derelict part of town and uh. <laughs> But people loved it, and it's got that
1: hipster appeal, right? Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> um, it was always interesting in the original brewery when you know full-grown adults would come and say, "Hold on, let me call my like daughter or son and let them know I'm not going to be murdered." And it was like, "Oh, thanks for coming." Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, really different now. <laughs> yeah, now now it's much different. Uh, but yeah, when we we opened the, we were very concerned about the taproom space being too cavernous, and and if there was only a few people in there, it would feel like lonely and un and cold and unwelcoming. And so we we did a lot of thinking about how can we make warm up the space and how how could we figure out how to fill it with at least you know thirty forty people every night, um, and now it's evolved into you know if you come here on a Friday or Saturday night it's it's standing room only. We we played the movie Elf uh, the other day and uh, and had donuts themed around beers and and the movie and uh, there was over three hundred fifty people here plus a hundred people in line just to come drink beers and and eat donuts and it was awesome.
1: That's wild. <laughs> On like a Monday or Tuesday? On a Monday. Wow. It was a Monday night, yeah. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. So and you, I
1: think you guys did a lot, sorry, uh, but I think you guys also did a lot with like the environment too. You were saying you didn't want it to be too dark and cavernous. So you had, you know, you were opening it to families during the day and you were making it kind of this like community hub and you put like board games and Bananagrams. I remember the first time I came here, I played Bananagrams yeah. for like two <laughs> hours with strangers that I had never met before because it was that kind of a welcoming environment where you just want to talk to people.
2: Yeah, we're definitely like the seating component has been core to what we've always tried to do there. and Make sure that it's not like, you know, two tops where it's just, you know, a date night in the corner. Let's you can have your date night here, but you might be end up talking to strangers by the end yeah, of the night. Yeah, exactly. That, um at, we we tried for the longest time not to have any TVs either. We really wanted people to come and drink beer and sit face to face and have a a conversation like like they used to in the old days. Yeah. Uh, it was
1: it was appreciated too and I liked the food trucks, and, you know, it just kind of felt like everything was sort of gathering together in this one little place.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like the TVs are kind of the fish fish tank effect, though? Do you think people aren't coming here to watch the big game, right? It's on in the background. It's the fish, it's the fish tank, or?
2: Yeah. I, I, we, we caved and put our first projector in. Uh, we were planning a big party, and it was the night of, um, I don't know, one of the play. I'm not a sports guy, so I'll probably bumble the reference, but it was like, I don't know, 2014 or something and the Patriots were going to the Super Bowl and it was like one game away and we were expecting like 400-plus four, f- people to come that night and like half of them emailed us and like, we're not coming unless you figure out how to play this game. And we're like, okay, we're going to cave to these freaking fanatics. Uh, and now, we, I mean, we play the games, but we're definitely not the place to come and be a sports bar um, for better or worse. Yeah, but, it's
1: not the vibe. But- yeah. It's appreciated because, I mean, I'm not much of a sports person either. And... Yeah.
0: So I think we have a pretty good understanding of where you've come from. So we're at the present. Uh, what is the beer that's into, that that uh, Night Shift is, is most known for?
2: Uh, So we've tried not to have, like, one flagship per se, uh, but we our two best-selling beers are Whirlpool and Centilli, so our Pale Ale and our IPA. Those kind of lead the charge. But they're, they're flanked by a, a bunch of other great beers, whether it be the Morph for One Hop kind of rotating IPA series, uh, 87, our double IPA, and 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 most recently Nightlight, our, our kind of craft light lager.
1: And Santilli recently won an award, didn't
2: it? Yeah. Uh, Santilli is a cool beer for us because it actually came through our morph, which is our rotating IPA. We basically secretly, not so secretly, crowdsourced uh, what consumers really wanted in an IPA, and we were tracking sales data and review data to try to, find what would made the ultimate ipa mm-hmm. and after we did that we were basically doing iterations of Centilli without people knowing uh and then once we got the recipe nailed in we entered into a competition and ended up winning bronze at the world beer cup that's awesome so you're in a unique
0: position that you're able to do some of those analytical things because you guys self distribute yep can we talk about when you started doing that and, and how it's been so far Because that's not something every brewery is doing.
2: Yeah. Uh, And we started the business self-distributing out of the back of my Subaru Outback, which I'm still driving right now. Uh, It's a little bit beat up and permanently smells like beer, but I I love the thing. Uh, And we really did it at the beginning because we didn't know anything about the business and we wanted to understand kind of the full spectrum before we, we signed up with a wholesaler. And then as we learned a little bit more, we got super scared about the franchise law, which... If you guys aren't familiar, it's basically you're locked in for life uh, with a wholesaler, sort of the marriage with no possibility of divorce, hmm. which is kind of a, a scary thing uh, because businesses evolve over time and what happens if you diverge?
1: Yeah. I mean, you you've been somebody who is really savvy about regulation. Obviously, you have to be like running this business. So what are some things that you have on your radar, you know, in terms of like things that are coming up or just things that night shift has to be aware of as you scale
2: yeah we're definitely cautious about the franchise law and if we expand to other states right now basically 99 percent of the beer is sold here in massachusetts through our own distribution company so in back in 2016 we we were getting fed up with the, the the lack of the ability to change the franchise law in massachusetts and created our own company called night shift distributing and the the one of the core tenets of that business is um, we know this law exists, but we don't hold other breweries or other suppliers to that law. If things aren't working out, they can uh, they can walk away. Mm-hmm. And so now we distribute about eighteen other craft breweries, uh, winery, a couple spirits brands, and some non alcoholic beverages like cold brew and stuff. Uh, and in tandem with that, I mean, I'm also the president of the Mass Brewers Guild, which is the state's trade association. Uh, with the mission to promote and protect massachusetts beer and i spent a lot of time there uh lobbying on beacon hill to try to get that franchise hall bill uh passed so that it's it's a more an equal playing field with brewers and wholesalers
0: when you guys self-distribute is it, it obviously you can't do it in new hampshire the the other states will you have to go into those those other distributors or is that something that you're looking to Maybe fix.
2: Yeah, I mean, we would love to see a change in other states. There has been a few states like New York and Vermont who have passed some sort of franchise law reform, which is great to see. We're definitely putting the question out there: Should we go into states that have franchise law, and um, are there alternatives that we could find to get our beer to a market? Um, there are other states where brewers are allowed to all wholesalers, and that's definitely something we're exploring pretty heavily of if we go to other states should we again run our own distribution business which is not what we started this whole thing to do Mm -hmm. but uh i think it's really important to both for the quality and for the the protection of the brand
0: where does massachusetts stand
2: amongst other states with their laws uh it's it's we definitely don't have the worst laws in the states around craft beer but there's definitely states with better laws states like california kind of lead the charge and and maybe the pinnacle uh and then there's states in the south where it's really restrictive and and challenging where they're they're still almost almost prohibition era in everything they do wow
1: do you think that that's a matter of the laws just being outdated archaic there aren't enough people taking an active stance to try to make change or do you think that there is some other like opposing force that's contributing to you not being able to do this expansion
2: yeah the the biggest opposing force is is the wholesalers they like the status quo and they don't want to see that change Mm -hmm. they give significant amount of money to politicians and that uh, unfortunately drives a lot of politicians um, decision making right and so the brewers um at the end of the day have less resources and less money than these wholesalers that uh we don't have enough power to to do anything i am excited to see that the brewers association is creating its uh PAC, uh political action committee on the federal level to kind of step up to the plate and, and be more of a powerful um body in the in the, in the senate and leg- uh, house in the national level
0: excellent Alright, so let's not get in any more into some politics yeah. stuff. So I don't want to get you in trouble. I always like to trouble. dig a yeah, little bit yeah, yeah, and yeah. then
1: just jump right out. But um,
0: <laughs> we're in the presence. Let's talk about, you guys have always been doing cans. You guys do some one-off releases with bottles, but uh, who does the can art? Who does the designs for you guys?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, in the early days, we did start in 750 milliliters with cork and cage, um, and we thought we, we did that on because we really wanted to elevate the quality of beer and kind of make it be more like a wine as far as its percent or, you know, customers' experience of with it on, as a dinner pairing mm-hmm. and things like that. But then we we quickly moved to cans as we kind of saw this shifting tide rising uh, around consumers preferring that package type, and uh all the can art is pretty much uh done by my other co-founder Mike Oxton and his brother Tim Oxton, who who also works for the business. They they have a really good design sense and. Uh, they they geek out on like fonts for hours and debate the difference you know i'll see two different labels and, I'll, and they'll be like which one do you like i'm like i don't know the difference and they're like you can't tell the font is different i'm like no i i cannot <laughs> who uh, did the owl um my my co fellow co-founder mike oxton he drew the owl mm-hmm. uh so he created that hop body owl we had the name first and then he he figured an owl was a good nocturnal representation yeah. of night and uh and then he realized the the body could look like a hop and he drew it and it was pretty awesome. It's talk?
1: become like this big, like recognizable symbol too. I mean, you yeah. always know when if you see it. Uh, I always a
2: see it on the body. train. Yeah.
0: I'm I always...
1: see it on the train. I see it on your distribution trucks, yep. like driving around in Boston. It's really cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh they they were really keen on like something that was a, a logo that was like a stamp that could be almost like that beacon. Mm-hmm. That yep. is proudly presented anywhere and doesn't, and you'll see on some of our merch like we don't even put the name sometimes on the on the merch It's just the owl to like let's make this something so powerful that I can stand alone exactly, you know, not yeah. too dissimilar from like the Nike swoosh
1: right it's the it's powerful branding. Somebody at my office actually has like shelves at his desk, and he has a whole row of night shift nice, yeah. that's awesome. It was a good thing to see right when I got
0: there. I just saw that you got excited even about someone having the shelves in there just seeing your excitement in that moment what was it like when you saw your product a on the shelves in a local packy and someone wearing your gear that must have been awesome
2: yeah it it's it's awesome it's still awesome today you know i i was telling someone the other day like you know when i go to logan and you see somebody wearing a night shift hat just a random person it, like it gives me butterflies it's like wow so, you know somebody chose to wear that out of all the clothes they have they wanted to get on an airplane and go to some other place and like show off night shift. And that's like, you know, you can't recreate that feeling. And it's it's still a special feeling today. You know, I always get excited, too, when when people order our beer at a bar or something I'm like that guy's drinking, you know, nightlight. Look at that can on his table. It looks awesome. And um and, and stuff like that get still get me really excited.
0: Your beer is, is a beer that I know if I do a beer trade. And I know we're not supposed to talk about beer trades, <laughs> but we do them, but we do them. always gets good feedback Mm -hmm. there's a thirst probably for your beer to be distributed is that to segue a little bit into the future is that something that is in the plans for night shift to to distribute more um
2: yeah we're i mean we've we've always kind of been uh capacity uh limited on what we can do and we've always been kind of behind the consumer demand for our beer which is a great position to be in to some extent, but it's, it's a problem nonetheless. So we've always, we've been trying to expand right now in ever, we are maxed out on the beer we can make. And this year we decided to make some beer at another brewery to help, um, with, with our, our capacity constraints, while we got a a expansion project in the works, we are, uh, on the other side of the brewery in the process of doing that expansion. We hit a little bit of a snag in the few weeks ago when, uh, the brew house that we were expecting to get in January, uh, the company went bankrupt, wow. um, and so we're out a bunch of money, and we're not sure we we're not going to get the brew house that we thought we were going to get in early 2019.
1: Talking about the brew house, we're sitting in the space right now. Can you talk to us a little bit about the capacity at this Everett location and what it, we're brewing on? What we're yeah. looking at,
2: yeah, yeah. So we have a 20 barrel brew house here, uh, three vessel. We have a tank farm that's a mix of 20s, 40s, six and 60s, and we have one bright tank that's 120. Depending on what beers we actually make here, it's somewhere around eighteen to 20,000 barrels of, of finished goods coming out of this brewery, um, which is definitely a significant amount. Uh, but we were hoping to get the new brew house so that we could do about 40,000 plus.
1: Wow. And where's the water coming from?
2: The water is MWRA, so it's uh, from the Quobin, I think that's how you oh, say it. Oh, the Quobin. Quobin, yeah. yeah. Quobin. Reserve. Uh, it is a great water. It does go through some filters that we have here uh, that, are, that are like 10 feet tall, but uh, we, we're fortunate to have a good water source. It's great. How do you con- keep a consistent product? It's definitely something that's super challenging and something we definitely struggled a lot with in our early days. Um, we now have a team of three people that work on the QA, QC side, and their whole job is to make sure the beer is, is up to spec and consistent and that there's no issues with the quality of the beer that we're putting out the door, um, as well as they also monitor once it goes out the door to make sure we're putting out kind of shelf as shelf-stable product as we can. And that was something that we invested in really early, you know, we got a lab upstairs and everything that that they're running tons of experiments throughout the life cycle of the beer, from from wort to to finished goods.
1: And about the lab, um, I know that you guys have a microbiologist on yep. the crew. What is that person responsible for? Like, what's their day to day?
2: Yeah, so they they'll pull samples from all the tanks. They'll plate them. They'll see if any bacteria grows. Uh, they'll they'll do some tests to see if there's any diacetyl or things like off flavors that could be produced. Um, we'll basically put beers right next to the cooler or right next to the, the boiler where they basically get boiled <laughs> endlessly once they're in cans and then plate those beers to make sure like if somebody left this in the car on their summer day that, uh, you know, it's not going to explode or go sour or right. anything like that. And so doing doing all that sort of stuff and then collecting that data and analyzing and, and saying if we, do we have a problem or do we not?
1: Sounds like the dream job for a microbiome person.
2: Yeah. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. I think uh, I think our microbiologist was on a path to like cure cancer, but then he decided to to make better beer. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so uh, I think we have a pretty good understanding of
0: what's going on now at Night Shift um, without going too much into the future and maybe something that you can't discuss. What what is the future? I know we have Boston coming up. Lovejoy. Uh, Lovejoy. Yeah. Love like what's something that maybe not as super well known,
2: but that the you vision can, you feel you feel good. The releasing? bigger vision. Yeah, I think one of the things I sort of talked about a little bit is, is can we replicate night shift in other, in other States Mm -hmm. and, and, and recreate both the brewing side and the distribution side. And where would that be? Um, That's something we're definitely really working hard to figure out that piece of the puzzle. Uh, And another thing that we started with the distribution company is to try to be more than just a beer company and be more of a a beverage company. Um, There's a bunch of other beverages that we're passionate about and, and should we make them? Should we work more in tandem with those suppliers? And what would that look like? Uh, you know, and and can we can we put an owl on something else?
1: I'm wondering a little bit about that that model where you have a brewery and you have the distribution company. Was that something that you saw? modeled in maybe like a different context and you were like oh we could do that or have you ever seen another brewery do that for themselves
2: so there there's a couple definite craft uh examples that we 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 certainly looked up to like stone brewing in california they have a stone distributing um they sell a significant amount of beer through their distribution branch uh in colorado crooked stave runs a distribution company um but one of the ones that we did look at is InBev, uh budweiser they, they have the biggest wholly owned distributor uh, and that gives them network that, that really gives them a lot of power in the market mm-hmm. and a lot of control over their, their beer's destiny. And we're like, if this is what makes them so powerful, why aren't other breweries doing this? Um, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's not what we got into beer for, but we should, we should really consider this because this is a way for us to be really strong in a market and- Um, and I think it can work at the craft level.
1: Yeah. And you can continue to scale too. Yeah. That's great.
2: Yeah. To really have that finger on the pulse of the market and what the beer buyers are saying at the stores, it's, it's absolutely critical part of our business.
0: So this brings me to my favorite part of the the episodes is (laughs) getting to know you a little bit more. So what's in your fridge at home?
2: Uh I think right now it's pretty much all night shift beer, uh, with some wine and spirits. There's a couple cider cans in there. Uh my wife is pregnant with our second child, so there's uh Congratulations. Dist- yeah, congrats. Thanks. We have uh we distribute now a non alcoholic beer from Connecticut. That's pretty awesome. And so there's a couple cans of that. That's cool. Um Yeah. Okay. Uh
0: You you mentioned Alagash earlier uh who are some breweries around the massachusetts
2: area i know malagash maine right uh that in your opinion are doing it right um i i think everyone had like i think a lot of times people put every brewery into a the same bucket but there are so many variations of the model and and approaches and targets that they're going after as far as like target consumers but you know i i really have a, a strong fondness for the guys over at jack's abbey i i
1: Love
2: them. Um, we do too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sam, uh, one of the brothers, sits on the board with me, and we work really well together to to, to tackle the the challenges of the industry. And uh, it's been great working with them, and they're great guys, and their beer is awesome.
0: I'm going to ask you this: Why haven't you done a collaboration brew with them?
2: I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I think we're always like so much in the trenches together that like we're always you want anybody, about yeah, yeah. yeah some other problem um i mean with our challenges with our current expansion sam was one of those people that reached out and said if you guys need help making beer we're here for you guys so there's they'll make night shift beer for sure i know that (laughs) (laughs) we saw a talk with you in boston
0: where you mentioned the beer community can we talk about that because you just he just teed you up yeah Yeah. he just (laughs) teed me up he just literally gave me a softball so let's talk about the beer community how it's important and
1: and why it's different
2: specifically in massachusetts or just generally well Maybe i feel start like in mass.
0: i think starting mass but i feel like you could go to california you could go to arizona you say hey you know not i own a brewery blah, blah blah but it's it's something that it's a brotherhood sisterhood whatever yeah
2: i i mean i think a lot of it is is people are all in this for the passion for the love of the of the beer and that drives people to want it everyone to be successful in the industry i think most of us aren't in it to get rich it's nearly impossible to get rich quick in this industry. Uh, you're you're in it for the wrong reasons if that's what you think. Um, so I, I think that helps us want to be communal and help a, each other out. I mean, I think at a time when we're sort of down as far as like we're a little bit wounded from not having the brew house expansion and we're not going to necessarily hit our growth targets for 2019 already. Um, you know, you have brewers saying, "I'll make you more beer so that you can go sell more beer in the market," like that. And Sam isn't the only one who offered that, uh, to us. So I think that's really embodies kind of that crappier spirit. And, and we all the time, we're one of the bigger breweries in the area. We breweries run out of blank cans or, uh, raw materials. And we have a lot of it. Uh, and it's always like, when do you want to come and get it? Um, uh, it's never like, yes, like yeah. there'll be free tap lines from this brewery in like two weeks. Cause they won't have their flagship IPA anymore in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's the opposite of our approach. And you know we even embody it to the extreme extent that we go out every day and we sell 17 other craft breweries. Our sales team is out there not just selling Night Shift. It's selling a whole portfolio of beer. Um, I think we sell like 30 or 40 different IPAs at any given time. It's like, and I don't care which IPA they sell. Just sell a IPA. Uh, and, and, And that's a win for us. Is there a beer at Night Shift that's your favorite?
0: And is there a beer that Night Shift made? that they discontinued that you wish they
2: would continue uh my, the beer i drink the most of is whirlpool uh i just love that it's four and a half percent it's really easy drinking uh, but it complex enough and interesting enough to to keep you in, engaged um so I, I i drink a lot of that uh if i really want to not think about beer i do like to drink our nightlight because it just tastes like almost like bubbly bubbly beer water uh <laughs> And it has its perfect time and place for that. Uh, uh, what beers do we not make? One of the early sour beers that we did was Summer Weiss, which was a beer with lemongrass and ginger. Mm. I really love that, that beer. That sounds great. Uh, it was so refreshing. I love ginger. I love lemon. That beer was inspired by like Thai cooking. Um, uh, but it was the worst selling Weiss for a long time. Whoa, and so That's a shame. I would eat that uh, with a green curry yeah, any good. Yeah, day. Yeah uh so i would love to bring that back we talked about bringing it back in some of our like kind of throwback beers but uh we'll see
1: be small it.
2: yeah
0: <laughs> can we talk about a trend that occurred in 2018 that you liked maybe a trend that you'd like to stay in 2018 and not travel into
2: 2019 oh man um I think you know I think there there is a little bit of a renewed sense of uh that there's more to to craft beer than just IPA. Uh we we love the hell out of them. We make a ton of them. Um but I you know there's over 100 kind of beer styles out there. Like we got to get people drinking some other good stuff because uh, we're we're so narrow-minded in in what we're we're all drinking that it's kind of frustrating. Um so I would love I would love I love more of that in 2019, and I think we start seeing some of that as more breweries kind of push out big lot like loggers and and things like that into the market. Um, you know, even Sam 76, I think, is a good example of that. Uh, what would I like to stay in 2019? 2018 or 2018? Yeah, sorry. Uh, I think uh, that clear beer is bad beer. I I I think that's one of the frustrating things. Uh, I think there's a lot of delicious clear IPA out there that just gets written off um, based solely on looks. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, we make both. I'm drinking Morph, which is fairly clear, and you were drinking Fluffy, which is super hazy. Yep. Um, and they and each I've have their time Morf. and place.
1: Yeah, and they're both equally delicious. Um, different different experience with mouthfeel and everything, but right. Yeah, some sometimes the hazy can get a little bit overdone. I know Matt, it's not not super partial to it's, that trend.
0: I think it's just that there's so many going back to your point, there's just so many different styles, styles of beer that the quote unquote I like beer in your Tinder profile or in your <laughs> No, but I'm serious, in your in your Facebook, Twitter, whatever, like I hate to say it, I'd say that seventy five percent of those people enjoy a New England style hazy IPA, right? And that's great. That's a great first beer to maybe get into that you really like, but there are so many other styles. We run into people all the time and say, I love New England style IPAs. Well, do you like lagers? Well, log- I do. Yeah, do you like yeah. loggers? And I'm like, eh, lagers are all right, you know?
1: Yeah. I think they just haven't experienced enough variety, especially in the craft world. So it'll be interesting to see what 2019 brings with new styles. Yeah,
2: I think the the balance of sometimes subtlety is beautiful and not getting punched in the mouth is beautiful. <laughs> uh but sometimes you you definitely want that kick in the kick in the pants. Uh, Can you describe the
0: Ma- Massachusetts beer scene in a sentence?
2: Oh man, I think it's uh it's a still rapidly evolving fun community to be a part of, where we're all still kind of trying to to find the right way. Um, when we started, where we there was fifty breweries in the state, there's over a hundred and sixty right now, and I think we're tracking another thirty plus to open. Uh, it's it's going to be a radically different world in, in the next 12 months. Um, combine that with just general industry challenges, and um, it's going to be a, quite a ride.
1: My last question is, you know, we're talking about how we're going to see an emergence of new styles, not new styles, but maybe underrepresented styles. Is there anything in the works for Night Shift on that front with, you know, loggers, pilsners?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're like we're that. we're definitely playing around with, like, what categories aren't craft beer brewers playing, and that was part of our, our reasoning for going after Nightlight. It was, like, light beer is this huge category, and for some reason, craft brewers decide that it was a bad category, and we shouldn't ever make beers that fall into that spectrum, mm-hmm. and, like, could we make a better one? And so, you know, that's definitely one of our ideas. We're definitely looking at some other things. Could we make a lower alcohol beer so you could drink a six pack of it and still be able safe to drive home like things like Mm -hmm. that. Like what could be more functional sort of beverages that um, are hybrids or inspired by other beverages that would be interesting to consumers. Yeah. Uh, It's definitely like a tricky thing to figure out. And we've made some wacky beers back in the day, but um, maybe some of those were before their time and maybe we should revisit them with, you know, our deeper knowledge now.
1: I'd like to see some brown ales, some amber ales coming back, too. I think that would be great.
2: Yeah, it's always, like, some of the beers that we sell through a distribution company, we get some of those from other brewers, and it's like, this is a great beer. And it's like, and nobody cares. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Why does nobody care about the amber (laughs) ale?
0: I
2: love amber.
1: We plug it as much as we can. We're like, it goes great with meat. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Is there something 2019 Rob wishes he could tell the dorm room brewmaster, Rob,
2: back in the day uh i i don't know i i mean i i definitely would still say do this start a brewery start your own business um i think i would say don't be so naive uh we've definitely had our fair share of business lessons learned since we started this and um ups and downs i think definitely now uh are, are Is there more good than bad happening in the business and should you continue to push forward? Um, it's been super important because there's definitely been a lot of sleepless nights over things that are really kind of inconsequential mm-hmm. in where, the early days.
1: So where can people find night shifts? You know, where what's where can we find your actual location, social media, that kind of thing?
2: Sure. Uh, the brewery is located at 87 Centilly Highway in Everett, Mass. We're open seven days a week, pretty much from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m uh is a little shorter hours. Uh, the new brewery will be on Lovejoy Wharf, right in next to the TD Garden. That's hopefully opening winter 2019, uh, so we're a few months away, and that should be op- that's going to be open even earlier, from around I think sometime in the morning to uh, 1- 1 a.m. Um, so it'll be a great pre or post game place. Yeah. Uh, our and our beer is sold in about 1,600 uh, accounts throughout Massachusetts. We do send a little bit of beer to Maine and, and New York City.
0: That's great. Excellent.
2: Before we go, what are you most proud of, Rob? Uh, I'm most proud proud about the jobs we've been able to create. Uh, we have over 120 employees right now. By the time Lovejoy opens, we'll be over 200 people. Uh, and it's really great to have it be that family mentality behind it because it is really a family business. Um, but you know, some of our earliest employees were volunteers here that that were just excited just as excited about the beer as we were and then we get off from a job with a real paycheck and not just here take the low fills uh <laughs> and watch them grow with us has been has been hugely rewarding
0: well thank you so much for taking some time out of your your night i know you have young kids at home and a and a pregnant wife so i know it is it probably sacrificed to come <laughs> out and do this i'm sure she's thrilled that you're not home right now but uh <laughs> You it's awesome for us because we've wanted you have been our most requested episode so far to come on. So we're excited to have you be our debut episode for season three. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Thanks, guys. Happy to happy to share a story. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers.